John chapter 13. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not every one was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. Good afternoon, everyone. Great to be here with you. Um, so we, uh, as Dom said, we, we're back in John's Gospel. Uh, for those of you who are regulars at SWEC, you know that we've been working through John's Gospel over a period of time with some breaks in the middle. We come to our last part of John, from John 13 to John 21. So this is the first week uh, of that series. Uh, let's pray as we come to God's Word. Father, we thank you for your word in John's Gospel. We thank you that these words that we read today point us to Jesus and show us what he's like and how he wants us to respond to him. Thank you, Father, that in this Gospel uh, you tell us that there are the words of life. Please help us to listen and respond and to find life in these words. In Jesus' name. Amen. Picture a young man in the late 1980s. Long hair, no dress sense, T-shirt that clashed with yellow and white shorts advertising a Thai brand of beer. An art student, so he has nothing better to do with his time than loiter around campus and drinking coffee. And to complete the picture of the directionless history major, this student went about everywhere without the benefit of anything between his toes and the ground. Starkers from the ankles down, barefoot. I was living with my grandparents at the time. 
my very prim and proper grandmother put up with a lot of things from me. Studying a course that qualified me to ask, would you like fries with that? <laughs> Wearing those yellow and white beer shorts. But leaving the house each morning, apparently having forgotten, forgotten my footwear, was just too much for her. It just wasn't right. And she wasn't the only one because each morning as I got on the train at Chatswood Station to come to uh, Redfern, Sydney Uni, uh, I would get disapproving glances from uh, respectable commuters, respectable middle-class people in their suits and uh, leather shoes. That's because in our culture, like many cultures, the idea of going around barefoot, especially outdoors, well, there's something a little bit shameful about it because our feet are considered one of the least respectable parts of our body. We usually cover them up, at least when we're outside. And in many cultures, we keep our feet well away from people. We keep them out of the way. And that is certainly the case in Jesus' day, in Jesus' culture. Feet were considered dirty, smelly, and not appropriate to be displayed in public. But in today's passage, Jesus completely ignores the conventions and the expectations of polite society and does something that would have been considered shocking and even shameful for someone in his position. He washes his disciples' feet. We'll see that what he does in this episode points to the fact that he is willing to lay aside everything, his reputation, dignity, position, for our sake, to show how much he loves us. And also that washing his feet points to something else where Jesus shows his love for us in a much greater way. And then we'll look at how Jesus calls us to follow his example and what that means to us. We've got three points. Uh, the, the outline is in your bulletin if you want to follow along. And the, the, the three points basically coincide with the three parts of our passage. Uh, so if you have a Bible, please have it open because we'll be working from that. The first point is Jesus strips off to wash his feet and we're looking at verses 1 to 5. The scene is that Jesus is seated with his disciples about to eat what has become known as the Last Supper. John includes in verse 1 a little tidbit of information about when this is happening that we might not, on the surface of it, think is all that relevant to the story. Have a look at verse 1 with me. It was just before the Passover feast, we're told. Whenever we come across seemingly random pieces of information like that in the Bible, it usually has some significance. And that is the case here. We'll come back to that. But picture the scene. Jesus and his disciples are sitting down at a table about to eat this meal. They're reclining on a couch. Their heads are towards the table. Their feet are pointed away from the table because the feet are considered to be uh, 
it's impolite to have your feet close to food and close to other people. Suddenly, Jesus gets up. He begins to take off his clothes. He puts a towel around his waist. What's going on here? Wondered his disciples. This wasn't expected. This wasn't normal. In fact, this was embarrassing. It was shocking. You see, normal and respectable people didn't go around wearing only a towel. Only servants did. And at that, only the lowest of the lowest servants did that. But it gets worse. Because then Jesus gets a basin of water and he gets down on his knees, goes to the feet of his disciples and proceeds to start washing their feet. Their smelly, dusty feet. He did what the disciples would never dream of doing. No self-respecting Jew would do that. This was a job for the lowliest servant. Some Jews even said that it was a job that was too lowly for Jewish servants. And it was only appropriate for foreign servants to ever wash people's feet. But here was Jesus, their Lord and Master, doing the unthinkable. No one knew where to turn. As usual, it was Peter who spoke up and represented the disciples, what they were all thinking. He said, Lord, you aren't going to wash my feet, are you? Jesus replies, Peter, you don't understand what I'm doing. But later you will. Then typical Peter speaks before he thinks and says, okay, Lord, then not just my feet, but wash everything. My heads and my hands as well. No, no, says Jesus, you're clean. And when you're clean, you only have to have your feet washed. Jesus finishes washing all the disciples' feet. He puts his clothes back on, takes his place back on the, at the table. He looks around at his disciples. They're still bemused trying to work out what on earth has just happened. And he asks them, do you realise what I've just done for you? Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. An amazing, shocking episode. We lose the effect of it because we've heard it before. Some of us have heard it many, many times and we kind of inoculated against it. But for the disciples, even though they had been with Jesus for three years now, what Jesus just did would have turned their world upside down, completely unsettled them. What sort of teacher and master behaves like a slave? What sort of point is he trying to make, completely overturning the way that things were meant to be in their world? Well, let's dig a bit deeper and see what we can learn. I want to come back to verse 1. Remember that we learnt that it was at something called the Passover feast that this was occurring. So a bit of background here is helpful. The Passover was a festival that the Jews had been celebrating for many hundreds of years, from the time of Moses. At the time, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, 
and they were, they were um, burdened by the yoke of slavery under Pharaoh and the Egyptians. God had told Moses that he would deliver them. He had sent a heap of plagues on the Egyptians and he was about to send the last plague of all. He says that the Israelites would escape slavery with this last plague. And this last plague was going to involve killing the firstborn of all the Egyptians. But the way that each Israelite family were to escape that plague was that each family had to kill a lamb. And with the blood of that lamb, they were to put it on the doorposts of every Israelite home. When the angel came that night to kill the firstborn of every Egyptian, the angel would see the blood on the doorpost and pass over every Israelite family. Their firstborn would be saved. Pharaoh would then respond by letting them go out of Egypt and sending them away. They would escape slavery. They would escape the death of each firstborn. And, and that... And it was that event that they celebrated each year after that at the Passover. The children were saved. Pharaoh let them out of slavery. Now, right from the beginning of John's Gospel, Jesus is identified with this story of the Passover lamb. Way, we won't look at it now, but way back at the beginning in John chapter 1, Jesus is called the Lamb of God. And that's a reference to that lamb the lamb that each Israelite family killed at the Passover festival. And here in chapter 13 is another connection with what happened in that first Passover, the connection with Jesus and that lamb. Specifically, we're given some hints that Jesus was about to do something monumental, something that was the climax for his whole time on earth, something that was connected to this Passover lamb, Something connected with its blood saving the people and the people being delivered from slavery. So have a look, at me, have a look with me at the rest of verse 1. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So there's a hint here that what John is talking about isn't just Jesus washing the disciples' feet, but something much greater that's wrapped up in Jesus leaving the world, something that would be the ultimate expression of his love. Then in verse 2, John tells us that the devil had already prompted Judas, Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, to betray Jesus. Jesus' betrayal by Judas puts into motion the events that led to his arrest and sham trial and finally his execution on a Roman cross. So there again, there's a connection with the events that were to follow. Jesus dying on the cross, Jesus dying as a Passover lamb. So I think that what John is doing here is subtly focusing on the death of Jesus at the same time as he's introducing the story of the washing of the disciples' feet. He's helping us to see that there's a connection between the two events. And there's more. Have a look at verse 3 with me. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. 
So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. I want you to look carefully at these two verses and the connection between verse 3 and 4. The technical term for it it is that there's a causal link between the two phrases of this verse, or these two verses. In other words, because of the things in verse 3, Jesus knowing that all things have been put under his power and that he is from God and will return to God, because of those things, then he got up from the meal and took off his outer clothes. Verse 4. Do you see that? Now it seems like a strange kind of connection, doesn't it? Knowing that he has all God's authority, so he strips down and prepares to wash their feet. What's the connection? We'll come back to that in a minute. But first, let's think about what Jesus is doing in this room with his disciples. Once again, it's got to do with the foot washing pointing to Jesus' death. Jesus knew he had to die because only he could die. Only he was qualified to pay for the sins of the world. Only he was fully human, but at the same time, fully God. Because he understood his identity and authority as God, that God the Father had given him the power to rule over all creation, he was crystal clear about his mission to save the world through his death. And I want to suggest that Jesus stripping off his clothes is also a reference to him choosing to strip himself of his power and privilege and identity as God so that he could go to the cross for us. And it's a choice that's spelled out in the book of Philippians. If you look with me, it's on the screen. Philippians chapter 2. Let's have a look. Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Do you see how there's the same thing going on here in Philippians 2 as we read about in John 13? Both passages tell us that Jesus knew he had God's authority, but he made the choice to strip off that authority and to sacrifice himself for our sake. He wasn't just a victim of circumstances, although at one level he was. He was, he was betrayed. Uh, he was a victim of injustice and a sham trial. But the big picture is that Jesus chose to go to the cross. He was in complete control. He chose to let go of his authority he chose the humility and shame. He chose to strip off and become a servant. And so this act of washing the disciples' feet was Jesus demonstrating how much he loved the disciples, how far he was willing to go to serve them. And it also pointed to something about 
to something he was about to do that was even more significant. The ultimate act of love that he was going to lay down his life, not just for the disciples, but for the sake of the whole world. Well, that's the big picture of what's going on here. But let's come back to Jesus and his 12 disciples in this upper room. After Jesus begins to wash wash the disciples' feet, we saw before that Peter is the one who speaks up in protest. And we move on to the second part of our story and our second point where Peter says, don't wash my feet. In verse 7 we saw before that Jesus tells Peter that he may not understand the foot washing now but he will later. And then Peter reacts, no Lord, don't wash my feet. But Jesus insists, unless I wash your feet, you have no part of me. Peter was embarrassed, wasn't he? Imagine having Jesus there at your feet, your Lord and Master, kneeling, washing your feet. Imagine how awkward he would have felt. But I think there's something else going on here. I think Jesus, uh, sorry, Peter was also proud. Because it takes humility to let others service, doesn't it? One time I was travelling in northern China. Um, I love mountain climbing. And uh, I was with, with a group of short-termers. And uh, I scouted out this mountain called Huashan near the city of Xi'an in kind of northern China. It's a decent peak, about 2,400 metres, I think. Uh, and I set out with two friends. Um, about half an hour into the climb, as often happens in, in China, someone appears out of nowhere and wants to make a bit of money somehow. And the way that this guy, enterprising bloke, wanted to make some money was by to charge to carry our packs. Uh, so he said, you know, can I carry your pack for you? It cost however much it was. It wasn't very much money. Um, but I said no for two reasons. One, that I'm a cheapskate. And I didn't have, want to fork out the moolah to, for him to carry my pack when I could carry it perfectly easily. But I think there was a second factor going on, and that's that I was proud. I was too proud to let him carry my pack. This guy was smaller than me. I know I'm pretty weedy, but, but he was really weedy, even in comparison with me. And, and I, 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 it was an affront to my pride to hand over my pack, which wasn't very heavy anyway, and let this guy carry it for me. Well, I wasn't going to do that. I was too proud to let someone carry my pack for me. The idea of someone's needing someone's help to serve us is a challenge to our pride. And that was part of Peter's response, I think. He couldn't have his Lord serving him like that. But Jesus said, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. Now here we have something that's very common in this interchange between Peter and Jesus. Something that's very common in John's Gospel. And that is that Jesus and Peter are talking on two different levels. Have you noticed that in the text? Peter thinks that it's all about the physical act of foot washing. Actually getting down and washing the dirt off his feet. But Jesus now uses washing as a symbol, as a metaphor. 
for what he would do on the cross. That he would wash away Peter's sin with his blood. He would become the Passover lamb who would save Peter, the disciples, and ultimately all of us, the whole world, from being destroyed because of their sin, because of their uncleanness. But of course, Peter couldn't understand that at this stage. We've seen that Peter responds with his usual exuberance um, when Jesus says, you need to be washed. Okay, Jesus, wash my head and my hands, everything. But then, verse 10, Jesus says, someone who's had a bath only needs to wash their feet because their whole body is clean. Again, they're clean because Jesus has washed their sins by his blood. Even though this is a future event, he's describing what he would do on the cross. So this section is a bit confusing because of these two different senses in which Jesus uses washing. There's the metaphor, washing clean their sin, but the foot washing is, is very obviously a literal washing of the feet as well. Peter, you are clean, your sins are forgiven because of what I'm about to do, but I still need to wash your feet with water. Why does Jesus insist? If Peter is clean spiritually, why does he insist on having to wash Peter's feet with water? Well, I think it's about being willing, being humble enough to let Jesus serve him to let go of his pride. In a sense, Jesus is pointing to the cross and saying, you need to let me do this for you because it points forward to me doing something far greater for you. And of course, Peter can't see this yet. But Jesus was saying that unless he would, he, Peter could accept that ultimate act of service, which is represented now by washing, my, washing your feet, unless he accepts that, unless he admits his need for Jesus, then he could have no part of Jesus. And friends, I want you to consider, I want us all to consider carefully Jesus' words here to Peter because he is also speaking to you and I. Because we are actually Peter. He represents each and every one of us at this point. No matter who you are, no matter what your position in life is, your background, your circumstances, we, we're all the same. Each one of us sits in Peter's place here. Because we all need to be washed by Jesus. We have all, each and every one of us, sinned against God. We have all made him our enemy. And without being washed clean and forgiven by Jesus' blood, like the Passover lamb, we stand condemned by God. So friends, if you're in the position today of never having accepted Jesus of never having put your trust in him and what he did on the cross, then I want to urge you today to consider that choice seriously 
that Jesus now confronts you with. Are you willing to let go of your pride and admit that you need Jesus? Now I know that you may very well be like Peter. I'm like Peter because I am proud. And you may be resisting accepting what Jesus has done for you because it confronts your pride as well. We need to acknowledge that we are in a hopeless position without his help. It's very humbling to admit, have to admit that we're helpless without Jesus. But that's our position. And it's very humbling to let Jesus in to deal with all our dirt, like Peter's dirty feet. Peter was horrified that Jesus would actually touch that untouchable part of his body. Are you willing to let Jesus deal with the shameful, dirty, hidden parts of your life? I want to urge you not to go away today if you're in that position without seriously having asked the question, how am I going to respond to Jesus? Will I refuse him and insist on going it alone? Or will I let go of my pride and admit I need him? Friends, if you're in that position today, I really encourage you to come and talk to me or Pete or Dom or think of coming along to Fresh and have some of those questions about Jesus answered. It's a great opportunity. Well, Jesus moves on from his discussion with Peter. He finishes washing their feet and then changes the focus from what he's done to, uh, in washing his disciples' feet to turn the attention to his disciples, to, to how are they going to respond. And that takes us to our third part, to follow that Jesus calls his disciples to follow him and get dirty. Just as they have seen him wash their feet, Jesus calls them to do the same for each other. Look at, look at me uh, with me at verse 15. I've set you an example, says Jesus, that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is any messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus tells them, look, guys, if it's good enough for me, your, your master, your Lord, to get down and get dirty and wash your feet, then it's good enough for you. And Jesus wasn't just speaking to the 12 disciples at this point because he was giving this command to every believer across time. And that comes down to us here at Bankstown. 4pm, Sunday the 1st of March, 2020. So, what does that mean for us? What does Jesus' words mean for us today? Well, let me start by saying what it doesn't mean. Uh, And this is fairly clear. Fairly clearly, it doesn't mean that we follow Jesus in what he did at the cross. Uh, We saw that only Jesus was uniquely qualified to die for the sins of the world. Only he was God, 
fully God and fully human. So, so it's fairly obvious that he's not calling us to do the same thing. So it must be referring to him getting down and getting dirty as he physically washed the disciples' feet. So it doesn't mean literally taking out a bucket of water and passing it round and going round to each other and washing feet. Well, maybe. And that certainly wouldn't be a bad thing to do, would it? A, a, a good exercise in practising humility and serving each other. But I think it's actually useful to try to understand, to try to get behind the attitude that Jesus, that, that motivated Jesus' actions and is behind his command uh, for us to do to each other. And there's lots that we could say about this. But, but I want to focus on two things that I think we can see behind Jesus' actions. The first one is a willingness to look to the needs of others regardless of personal cost. Say it again. A willingness to look to the needs of others regardless of personal cost. Now, I just said that Jesus didn't mean that we follow him to the cross. And even though the cross was still in the future when Jesus said these words, the, the very near future, but still in the future, the, the cost of his humiliation and his death can't be separated from the command that Jesus gives to his disciples. Because what Jesus did was the ultimate example of his love. It was the ultimate expression of the fact that Jesus held nothing back. He left nothing Nothing in the tank when it came to how he loved his disciples. It cost him his life. And he calls us to love and serve each other with that same kind of love. With that same kind of love that doesn't put boundaries on how far we are to go for each other. That doesn't say that I will love the person in the seat next to me this far, but I'm not willing to go any further. The sort of love that doesn't put boundaries on how far we're to go, that looks to the needs of others, regardless of personal cost. And then the second attitude that Jesus showed was a willingness to lay aside his reputation his, his rights, his authority, even his dignity for the sake of others. And so he willingly did something that was considered shameful in that culture. He stripped off his clothes and put a towel around him and took on the demeanour of the lowliest of servants. He didn't consider the dirtiest, most humble act of service to be beneath him. Are you willing to do the same? Think of the most unpleasant job that nobody wants to do. If it needs doing, are you willing to roll up your sleeves and get stuck in? If the toilets at church are a mess and they haven't been washed for like two months 
even though you're not on the roster, are you willing to pick up the toilet brush and crack open the toilet duck and scrub away? If you see a lump of vomit in the back of the kitchen, which everyone else has conveniently avoided, chosen not to see, are you willing to get down and clean that up, even though no one's going to see you? Or maybe it's a person rather than a messy job. Maybe it's a person who everyone politely avoids because they talk too much or because they're, it's hard to get away from them. You know the kind of person who uh, is really needy, who, um, who just kind of seems to sap all your energy and you walk away exhausted. Are you willing to serve them regardless of the personal cost? Jesus said that he has set us an example that we at Southwest Evangelical Church, each Sunday that we meet, each CG that we attend, each social, each time we go out for dinner after the service, each time we were with friends or family, that we should do as he has done for us. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's costly. For Jesus, it was doubly so. But Jesus leaves us with the promise at the end of our passage in verse 17 that if we do these things, we will be blessed. Let's think about that as we respond. Uh, I'm going to get the band up and... uh, We'll respond by singing together.